welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van Tatum, your host, coming to you from Estes Park, Colorado, top of the world, gateway to Rocky Mountain National Park. It is 4th of July, and I don't know to say happy 4th of July this year or not. I'm conflicted, as I'm sure many of you are as well. Now... I want to say I still believe in this country. I do. I do still believe in this country, but man, we've got some storm clouds on the horizon, and I I don't think any of us are getting out of here uh, all the better. I think we got some hard times ahead of us. Today, in a suburb north of Chicago, during a Fourth of July celebration parade in Highland Park. Six people were shot dead. More than two dozen have been hospitalized in serious or critical condition. Shooters still at large. According to the Chicago Sun-Times, six people were killed and more than two dozen others wounded when a gunman started firing a high-powered rifle from a rooftop 10 minutes after the Highland Park 4th of July parade had just started. Authorities continue to hunt for the uh, the gunman. Um, and uh, he still hasn't been apprehended so far, says Christopher Covelli of the Lake County Sheriff's Office in the Lake County Major Crime Task Force. He had a news conference about 2.15. FBI is asking anyone who may have video of this shooting or any sort of possible information, a tip, to call their tip line at 1-800-CALL-FBI. North Shore University Health System said 26 people were taken to Highland Park Hospital and five to Evanston Hospital, the vast majority being treated for gunshot wounds though some sustained injuries as a result of the ensuing chaos. There are harrowing images of camp chairs and just personal possessions of families, little chairs that are just overturned and left there in the, uh, the ensuing chaos. Witnesses say they heard 20 to 25 shots in rapid succession. Um, so they're, they're thinking it wasn't a handgun or a shotgun. A gun has been recovered. It was... Um, the incident uh, happened from a rooftop. Highlands Park Police Commander Christ O'Neill said the rifle that a rifle the gunman used has been recovered and that the suspect appeared to be 18 to 20 years old, white and wearing a blue T-shirt with long, dark hair. So we'll see where that goes. I've been watching A Handmaid's Tale this week. And um, I think it's a a series we all have to watch or read the book if that's more your style. We're going to be talking about that, kind of the implications the warnings that were put out back in 1986 in the dystopian novel by Canadian author Margaret Atwood. I'm sorry, it was it was published in 1985, but set. Oh man, it sure seems like it, it might be kicking off now. Set New England in the uh, the very near future. It goes over a strongly patriarchal, white supremacist, and totalitarian, thematic, theocratic state known as the Republic of Gilead, which was overthrown by the United States government. We're going to get into that first. A little bit of good news. I mean, nothing that's going to really brighten the day after another mass shooting. I don't know how many of these I'm going to have to report on. Too many. It's already just way, way too many. So um, the good news is that the uh, Estes Park um, 
opened up the a new open space park area, um, the Thumb. So uh, I was there. I was invited to the uh, opening ribbon cutting ceremony with kind of a who's who of Estes Park, and um, got some of uh, the opening speeches, the the, the the little talks they give before they cut the ribbon. Um, so I'm gonna play those for you. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we get into the podcast, um, I also want to apologize. I missed like the beginning of the week. Like I got so sick just at the end of the weekend, and then it hit my uh, my daughter Winter. And uh, I don't I don't know if it was COVID or not. I took COVID tests. Two of them came up negative, and uh, I had recovered in in just like 24 hours. But it, it sure felt kind of like COVID. But it's man, again, it's so hard to tell. There's so many viruses and and sickness going around this year, and um, you know, there's so many variants. I mean, it's just the uh, the writers of the apocalypse seem to be in full stride. We've got so many different, you know, old things we thought we had vanquished, like monkeypox, that are um, resurfacing and not acting like they used to. We know viruses mutate, but man, it sure seems like like uh, things are, are going crazy. I think Mother Earth may have a uh, may have a fever. So uh, let's go ahead and and start off with our sponsors. I want to um, thank my sponsors, the uh, the Historic Park Theater and the Real Mountain Theater here in Estes Park, Colorado. They uh, not only are they just, you know, the movie, two movie theaters in town where you can go and, and see all kinds of great movies, everything from what's, you know, the, the most current blockbusters, but they also do these live events. We um, got some great bands coming. I'm going to have an interview with um, with the owner, Jenna McGregor, um, coming up this week. I'm going to go down and we're going to talk about uh, Five Nations is coming to town. But again, I'm excited about the uh, Rocky Mountain Horror Picture Show. Or not Rocky Mountain. <laughs> uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I guess if it's when it's playing in Estes, it's the Rocky Mountain Horror Picture Show. But um, if you've never been to one of those shows, it is full audience participation. They've got a little acting crew. I know I've written about it on Switchblade. You can go back and see from the first time I brought my middle daughter Lux to one last year. And she just loves it. She is waiting for the next one to come. So if you've never been to one, it's definitely an experience that you've got to go check out. Um, but, uh, you know, Jenna does so much more than just the movies because she's she's doing things like uh, letting us use her space for Pride events. Um, all the speeches that were recorded last week on last week's podcast, that all happened over at the Slab. So she's really engaged and, uh, you know, she's got some cool things going on. So um, next time you're at the movie theater at the slab and you see Jenna, tell her you say hi, tell her thank you for, uh, you know, helping the community like she does. And um, yeah, so let's go ahead and get into this open space that's just been opened up, otherwise known as the thumb. And uh, we'll uh, talk a little bit about that. The town of Estes Park purchased the thumb open space. Officially, it's uh, 65 acres on the south side of Prospect Mountain for the town's newest pu publicly accessible open space, known as the Thumb Open Space. The name refers to a large rock outcrop from on the southeastern side of the property. And you've probably seen this when you're going up towards uh, Allen's Park on 7. It is it's that one little... Thing that looks like the tip of a thumb, a little rock outcropping. Well, it's not so little. It looks little from the road, from across the canyon. <laughs> anyway, um, for decades, the property has been a popular but privately owned hiking and climbing destination. It was first climbed by legendary Tom Hornbean in the late 1940s. The thumb open space features were later used by Tommy Caldwell as a training ground. The property now offers... 50 routes from uh, climbing routes. So that's uh, the rating system. I'm not too sure what that is exactly. It's, it's from 5.0 all the way up to 5.13, as well as high-quality bouldering. The area is also known for its great hiking, trail running, dog walking, with Long's Peak, Mount Meeker, and Twin Sisters in view from 
pretty much the whole trail and they do have handicap accessible it's 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 easier to access anyway than some of the other uh places but yeah they really took that into consideration uh for people like myself who at times need to is somewhat mobility impaired so the purchase ensues at the property remain undeveloped and open for wildlife and future public access after completion of a scientifically developed and community-driven management plan. The town of Estes Park and its partners are committed to balancing the use of the open space for recreational purposes, ecological considerations, and the quality of life for residents of the neighborhood and community. The existing trail remains open for hiking and is accessible from Peakview Drive. The remainder of the property is closed to all other uses, including climbing, till the management plan is complete. Users are reminded to please respect private property and refrain from leaving the marked public trail. The management plan effort is expected to be completed within the next 12 months by a team of interested stakeholders surrounding HOA members who will offer public input opportunities prior to presenting the draft management plan to the town board for approval. The town is currently seeking a consultant for the management planning process. The purchase was made possible through the dedication of partners, including the previous owners of the open space, Great Outdoors Colorado, Access Fund, the Estes Valley Land Trust, Rocky Mount Conservancy, and the town of Estes Park. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's official. And this is all coming from... Um, Oh, the, the Estes Valley Land Trust actually put together a good little uh, blurb about it that I've been reading from. Um, and uh, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and listen to some of the uh, short speeches that were given um, from some of the partners that helped make this happen. And uh, also from uh, Mayor Wendy, Mayor Wendy Koenig also had some uh, words to say before it. So uh, let's just jump into that and then... Uh, stay tuned after the uh, the speeches, and we're gonna talk a little bit about the uh, man, the foreshadowing to life that was a Handmaiden's Tale, and just how relevant this is um, to where we are right now. And and it may be easy, it may be easy to blow off a statement like that, but we really got to look at what's happening in our country right now, and just how quickly things can change, how quickly things we saw as kind of foundational pillars to our country just get washed away within a week. So we're going to be uh, talking about that a little bit, going over a history of The Handmaid's Tale, both the book and the, the series on Hulu. Again, if you've not seen the series or read the book, I, I implore you, please take the time Watch it on Hulu. It may be a little hard to watch right these days, but it's important because it helps to paint a picture of the direction we are going. It may help to motivate and and inspire the younger generation to 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 step up because they're the ones who are going to have to fix this. They're the ones who are going to have to live in this world that we're creating right now. And um, it's going to fall on them to to be the leaders to fix that. These are conversations I have with my daughters more and more often these days. Um, but uh, we can, we can still do our part now. And it's you know I just I felt so hopeless this week. But we can't we can't let that take over because um, you know as as quickly and and as quickly as things have changed and just seems like we've jumped into an alternate universe. We can change it back, but we're going to have to get organized and motivated to do it. We've got to, we've got to become more knowledgeable in these, these subjects and, and how these um, decisions and rulings from the powers that be, um, how we might be able to, uh, to use those same systems to, to regain what we're losing right now. And mark my words, this is not just about abortion rights. It's not just about reproductive health. Um, we've already seen where they're beginning to go after contraception. But we'll get into that after these. So here's the uh, 
Here's a speech is given at the thumb opening. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm not exactly sure how I got nominated to be the opening speaker, uh, but I'm Don Smith, the president of the Estes Valley Land Trust, and I recognize uh, some of you. I, I know some of you, but I've also seen many of your names in the newspaper. It's my pleasure to be here today on behalf of the uh, Land Trust uh, for this momentous occasion on June 30th. It's amazing that this project has been a dream for many people in Estes Park, and I think it's probably fair to say around our entire country. Uh, and to be here on this day, I, I feel quite um, fortunate in, in that regard. The Estes Valley Land Trust uh, has a mission of conserving land in the Estes Valley for current and future generations. And obviously, that's what we're doing here uh, today. When I have thought about this project, what it has reminded me of is the strength and the th things that can happen when people of goodwill work together with commitment and, and share the same aspirations. It's, it seems like a lot of times huge amounts of energy are spent telling all of us how different we are in this state, in this country. This is an example of what happens when people work together. And I think it's something that everyone can be very proud of. Um, I will say, however, that the first half of this trail was not exactly as Jeffrey Boring had described it to me, because I went up on Monday and I actually had to stop a few times to get my breath but it is a beautiful a beautiful trail and uh, all the people here all the partners i think deserve a tremendous uh, amount of of uh, thanks from the community and from all the hundreds and really thousands of people who will use this trail over the course of time uh, they will benefit from what all of you have done so with those words, I think I'm supposed to introduce a number of the other speakers, beginning with uh, the, the fellow who I have heard is a legend here in Estes Park, uh, Tom Hornbein, uh, who apparently has been climbing this uh, for as long as it has been an open trail, as I understand. Uh, after Tom, uh, we'll have representatives, Estee Rivera from the Rocky Mountain Conservancy, uh, Chris Winter, the Executive Director of the Access Fund, uh, Alex Castino and Courtney Bennett, Courtney Bennett from Great Outdoors Colorado, uh, and then the Mayor, Mayor Koenig, will uh, cut the ribbon and I'm sure have a few words to say. So thank you all uh, very much. Uh, this is a wonderful day and, a, and really a great project. not have to follow you. I just saw the road. <laughs> Very fortuitous that your family's a little bit belated. Uh, hi, I'm Esty Rivera. I'm the executive director of the Rocky Mountain Conservancy. Uh, I just want to, we have a lot of partners represented here. Everyone from state, local, federal governments that have been involved and then many nonprofit partners as well. Uh, our mission at the Rocky Mountain Conservancy, although our primary focus is around Rocky Mountain National Park, and we are obviously not in Rocky Mountain National Park, is to promote stewardship of Rocky Mountain National Park and similar lands uh, through education and philanthropy. So this was right in our line when we started having early conversations with the Land Trust, the Town of Estes Park, uh, and the Access Fund and others uh, of how we could get involved. Uh, it didn't make sense for us to come to the table potentially as purchase partners since this isn't adjacent to Rocky Mountain National Park, but we have had for many years a uh, Youth Conservation Corps, 
uh, supporting Rocky Mountain National Park and adjacent public lands. So last year we were able to support this project through an in-kind donation, which was part of our GoCo contribution as well, of bringing out five youth, 18 to 26, who worked out here for uh, nine weeks, uh, developing the core with, where's Brian? Brian Berg as their supervisor. Thank you, Brian. Uh, and, and our conservation department. They uh, had a very interesting, filthy summer, uh, for those of you who came and visited. I know the community received them in all sorts of ways. They showed us pictures of cookies that neighbors brought them week after week, every time they were out there. So I know that their work felt appreciated. Um, our focus with that program is to set them up for careers in conservation and give them leadership opportunities. Uh, and I can't wait for them to come. I wish they were all here. Many of them actually have continued in other roles in our program as well. And you'll meet some of our Conservation Corps alumni later this evening as well. But I'm excited that they will come out and see the fruits of their work go on for de uh, decades to come. This summer, we're going to be hosting another Conservation Corps out here in partnership with the town. And they will continue to work on the trail. And we hope that this will be a long partnership with the town for decades to come. So thank you everyone for your support in this project. Uh, I hope if you haven't yet, you will get out there and hike the trail soon. And I am supposed to be introducing Chris Winter, uh, the executive director of the Access Fund. Tom, your family's not here yet? Yeah, they're here. Oh, they're here. No, then you're up at bat, Tom. <laughs> thank you. Uh, what a privilege to follow you, Esty. Uh, my presence here is basically as a historical artifact. <laughs> and what I failed to do in my relationship with the thumb and the needle, the other Tommy over there has done in spades. But I simply want to share briefly uh, an anecdote from around, I figure about 72 to 75 years ago when I was a student at, uh, in college at the University of Colorado and I and my three other buddies would come up uh, during quarter breaks in March usually uh, and hang out with the good graces of Julia Morrissey at the old Hughes Kirkwood Inn and camp on the floor uh, with the ambition uh, of wanting to climb Long's Peak in the winter. And one day, uh, I and a climbing buddy named Tom Riley decided we'd uh, go into town while we were out there and we uh, would hitchhike in. Uh, we got down to the uh, main road, now Highway 7, uh, walked all the way into town, never saw a car to hitch into. Uh, and when we got down on the seven, uh, just below the rocks, we looked up and thought, you know, that looks interesting. For some reason, which I don't remember, we were carrying a rope and maybe a little, a piton or two. And so we headed up the hill uh, to the first rock we came to, which is now known as the Thimble, uh, though briefly it was called by us Tom's Thumb for the reason that you are about to hear. So we headed up to the Thumb uh, with uh, Bob belaying me on a new nylon rope. Uh, nylon ropes had just appeared then. Uh, and uh, in the beginning, we started with Manila rope. Uh, and we headed up the rock. I headed up the first pitch on this thing. And I get up to a place where uh, it uh, looked a little spooky. And I was hanging there by my hands, trying to screw up my courage to make the next move and then after a while I decided I don't think I'm going to do that and so I released my hands uh, to come down and they, they opened right up and I came down uh, I, I probably fell 10 or 15 feet and then I hit a slab and slid down that and Bob stopped me very nicely uh, there was a little discomfort in the, uh, my right back side and so we walked into town, uh, looked up Doc Mall. Uh, he diagnosed three broken ribs, three pieces of tape, 
$2 a rib. Uh, and I thought that was highway robbery. <laughs> and then uh, my buddies couldn't help but wanting to keep me laughing for the rest of the spring vacation because it hurt so much. So that's my story. I, as far as I know, that may be the first human humanoid attempt on these rocks. Uh, it ended up interestingly, but is now a little bit of a piece of the history. So, uh, Chris, were you following me? Let me introduce this the head of the access fund but Kathy and I knew Chris before he was born <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest and uh, baby uh, babysat his older sister as he was being delivered uh, so we uh, enjoyed a life a long life shared together climbed together and it's really wonderful to have you uh, back out here in Colorado, Chris. Oh. Thanks so much, Tom. Great story. And um, I'm glad that when we went climbing together, you didn't break your ribs. <laughs> and I didn't have to catch you on Guy Peak. That went relatively smoothly. Um, Melissa, by the way, Melissa is Tom's daughter. And so Tom uh, knew me when I was born. And in turn, when Melissa was born, I uh, got to know her basically from her very first day, very first breath. And we all went climbing together up on Guy Peak, I don't know, a long time ago, which yeah. is just outside Seattle where Tom used to live. And it went great, except at the end, we were going to do this car shuttle, and I had forgotten the keys. So I was the goat on that day and had to do an extra, I don't know, three or four miles, and they were huddled behind a car in the shade because it was so hot out, and I had to come back and bring them the keys. So uh, he told my dad later, yeah, the climb went pretty good, but Chris forgot the keys at the end of the day. Uh, so I got to hear about that Um but um, let me just pull up my notes. So yeah, anyway, thanks so much for the introduction, Tom. Um, my name is Chris Winter. I'm the executive director of the Access Fund for the National Advocacy Organization for Climbers. I just want to start by thanking the town of Estes Park for the invitation to speak today. Um, it's really a great event, opportunity to not only celebrate Tom's legacy, um, but the role that climbing's played in the history of Estes Park and the mountain culture and everything that we've come to love about this place. So it's so cool to be able to celebrate that today um, with Tom and Kathy and Melissa here with us. So I'm so excited to be here. Uh, and I also really want to thank our partners, um, Estes Valley Land Trust, GOCO, Rocky Mountain Conservancy. Um, it takes uh, a village to get something like this done. Um, all the organizations played really essential key role, and we couldn't have got it done without all of us coming together. So I want to thank everybody for that work. Um, at the Access Fund, our mission is to lead and inspire the climbing community towards sustainable access and conservation of the climbing environment. Uh, and we just celebrated our 30th birthday this year, so we've been at it for about three decades. Uh, and this project we're so excited about at the Thumb because it's really a shining example of the kinds of things that we can accomplish when we work together and bring together outdoor recreation and conservation and stewardship uh, for an amazing spot like this. Um, the local community here now has an amazing climbing area, an open space. Uh, people can enjoy that uh, for years to come, help us connect to nature. Um, we've helped to protect wildlife habitat for raptors and deer and elk and other species. And um, the local guiding community now has a really vital new resource that's going to help support the local recreation-based economy. I think that's a really important part of this project. Um, but perhaps even more importantly, you know, we secured permanent access and permanent protection for a place that young people are going to be able to enjoy for years to come. Uh, you know, we uh, are trying to build a future together, and I think our future depends on inspiring people, young people, to stand up and protect the places that they love. Uh, we need a next generation of conservation leaders, and I think outdoor recreation, stewardship, the kind of job opportunities that Esty was talking about, we bring that all together. That's how we're going to inspire the youth of tomorrow to really step up and take the mantle and protect all the places that we all care about, not, not only here, but then to take that out into the broader world and to step up and be the leaders that we need. Uh, and so, you know, one of the ways that this project benefits young people, like Esty was talking about, was creating job opportunities. The fact that Access Fund and the Conservancy can come together and have young people do the work to build sustainable trails and to take care of this place and to contribute to that to get job experiences, to get connected 
to careers in natural resources conservation and stewardship, that's a magnification of the impact of this investment. That's going to pay off for years and years to come. So our investment is going to continue to pay off, and um, we're just so excited. So let's celebrate. I'm looking forward to the event later. And, um, you know, it's just a really, it's a shining example of how we can have an investment. We're going to leverage that, give kids job opportunities, protect wildlife habitat, support the local recreation economy, and give something back to the local community that will be able to be enjoyed and appreciated for generations to come. So thanks a lot, and thanks, everybody, for being here. And I think I'm supposed to pass it off to the nice folks from GoCo. much. It's a privilege to be here with all of you. Um, amazing to celebrate this accomplishment of opening this space for public use and access and kiddos to, I'm sure if we were closer to the rock, they'd be scrambling. Um, it's awesome to see them already enjoying it. I'm not going to take up too much time. I'm Alex Castino, our Northern Front Range Program Officer. And by our, I mean Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm based in Denver, but um, cover a, a large swath of the Northern Front Range. As you might imagine, I want to hand the mic over to, I think, all of us here and probably most of the folks who get handed a mic um, on the podium have a ton of people who actually make sure the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and get the money out the door. And Courtney is that person for us. And so I just want to give her the spotlight um, for this amazing accomplishment. So Courtney Bennett. Grant officer out of the building. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> um, everyone, my name is Courtney Bennett. I serve as GoCo's grants officer for land acquisition projects. I'm super excited to be here today celebrating the grand opening of the Thumb Open Space. I had the honor and privilege of working with Jeffrey Boring, Brian Berg, and Christy Crosser to help get the Thumb Open Space acquisition and conservation easement across the finish line. <laughs> it is fantastic to be here, boots on the ground, helping celebrate this awesome accomplishment. GoCo is a very proud partner, funder, and supporter of all the work that went into this acquisition and everything that it will bring into fruition. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with our organization, Great Outdoors Colorado, or GoCo as we're known, invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife habitat, rivers, and open spaces. We were created when voters approved a constitutional amendment in 1992, and, and we have since funded more than 5,500 projects across all 64 counties. GoCo invested um, $350,000 to help the town of Estes Park purchase the Thumb property and create a publicly accessible open space. Estes Valley Land Trust's involvement and the conservation easement adds another layer of protection to this stunning property and it helps ensure the long-term protection of this gorgeous landscape, including the iconic Thumb and Needle and the wide variety of plants and wildlife that thrive in this environment. As a conserved open space, Many more people today and in the future will experience the joy and meaning of hiking, climbing, and other outdoor recreational opportunities here. I would like to commend the accomplishments of all of the partners, the Town of Estes Park, Estes Valley Land Trust, and the community for their vision and efforts to bring this project to fruition. And since its inception, GoCo has invested more than $63 million in projects in Larimer County and we've protected together 66,287 acres. We look forward to continuing this partnership um, here with you and your community, and we remain committed to protecting and enhancing places like this that are, make Colorado unique. So again, thank you so much and congratulations. so fun to see everyone get up here that was involved and I want to give you a special applause because it just doesn't happen without teamwork so thank you so much um, hello hello everyone and good afternoon I'm Mayor Wendy Koenig and I'll begin by saying it's been such a pleasure to hear from our partners today 
and I've learned so much from them. It underscores how fortunate the town of Estes Park is to have such strong partners in establishing the open space. I couldn't be more proud of the collaboration that made this possible, and to think the group of us here today represents only a portion of the energy behind the vision. I feel incredibly fortunate to celebrate with you. I'm joined today by uh, two of our fellow trustees. We've got trustee Cindy Youngland, and we have our newest trustee, Kirby Hazelton. So thank you for being here. Oh, we appreciate it. And what I like is you're here now to be sure this continues to function as it's supposed to. So that's great. Uh, oversight's important. Um, each of them, let's see, I lost my place. They saw this project through uh, with the town staff, particularly those in public works and parks division. And they've done a fantastic job. I'm particularly proud of their work engaging the entire community, including the neighbors nearby to complete a comprehensive and conscientious management plan for the area. And we know the work does not stop here. We'll keep investing in caring for the open, the thumb open space to ensure it remains a special place for kids, they're having fun, and adults, climbers, hikers, and nature lovers in general. On behalf of the town board, I extend our most sincere appreciation for all of your support. When we come together with a vision for our community, I believe there is no limit to what we all can accomplish. At this time, I'd like to invite a few more people to join us behind the ribbon. And the very first person is Commissioner Jody Shattuck-McNally. Uh, we have a very good relationship, and you rushed up here to be here. Please come up. <laughs> Stand here by me. I'm pulling. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'd like to have Town Administrator Travis Mahalik, Park Supervisor Brian Berg, Eric Murdoch of the Access Fund, Land uh, Trust Director Jeffrey Boring. Come on and line up. It's a big ribbon and the scissors are folks that was the opening of the uh, thumb open space here in ss park colorado all right well let's get into this so again i've been man i've been uh kind of binge watching while i was sick earlier in the week the uh the handmaid's tale never watched it read the book when i was uh in high school i think man is the book isn't can, can you even read it in high schools anymore I wonder if they if that's one of the books that they banned in Texas and Florida and whatnot. It, it seems to be it would be on the list. They don't like uh, they don't even like fiction stories calling out bad behavior and and things that make them well look like you know the, the actions speak for themselves. <laughs> All right, just before that, I was starting to talk about how the 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 direction we've been moving since the. Uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade, the overturning of 50 years of, of law, of constitutional right, um, happened in the last week, basically, two weeks, I guess now. 
um, that it wasn't going to be just about abortions. And we're already seeing that, um, you know, and, and this they've been working on this for so long. So last year, conservative Republicans in Missouri, the Missouri legislature took a run at blocking medical Medicaid funding from going to Planned Parenthood and a frequent prominent target of anti-abortion activists and politicians. But if you look at the fine print of the measure that they had put forward, the Republicans revealed that their ambition wasn't only to target the, uh, the foe of abortion. They were going after specific forms of birth control and, and notably emergency contraception. Uh, often sold under the brand name Plan B. But I think what's more shocking is the them going after IUDs or interuterine devices. Lawmakers tried to stop Missouri's Medicaid agency for paying for those forms of contraception. Why would they be going after IUDs? And um, I believe that it is now that 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 they're going to have to look at that now because I think it passed. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's scary that IUDs implanted by uh, health providers as a semi permanent birth control method, um, and and there's about six point one million women who use an IUD or uh, they did a survey in 2018 uh, during a month's period of time. And um, yeah, that's the same number as those relying on male condoms, according to the Gudmacher Institute. I'm totally probably slaughtering that pronunciation. Um, You know, we also had uh, the Idaho state uh, representative, Brett Crane, Republican chair of the powerful House State Affairs Committee um, said he would hold hearings on legislation banning emergency contraceptives and possibly IUDs as well. A Louisiana House committee earlier this month passed a bill saying that human personhood begins at the point of fertilization, an interpretation that critics say could potentially be used to outlaw Plan B drugs, IUDs, and perhaps even other forms of birth control. So, uh, you know, they're, they're already doing it. They're beginning to stigmatize birth control, which I don't get. Like, if you don't want abortions, why, why take away the things that prevent the need for abortions in the first place? Um, it's, it's just dumbfounding to me that we're, we're heading so quickly in this direction. Um, and they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop with just abortion and contraception. We've already heard um, rumors that, that, you know, LGBTQ plus rights are going the same direction. All the progress we've made, um, all the progress we've made with trans rights. What do these people care how we live our lives? I don't get it. Why do you care if a woman has an IUD? Anyway, if you want a glimpse, if you want a preview of what the world may look like, what America may look like, and and fiction is such a powerful um, vehicle. It's such a, a, a magical thing. I also often refer to, to writing in the creative process as space wizarding because you know, it, it has the ability to change the world for, for good or bad, but it also has the ability to warn us of where we're heading and where we're going. And I think that The Handmaid's Tale really, really demonstrates that. So again, The Handmaid's Tale is a futuristic dystopian novel by Canadian author Margaret Atwood published in 1985. It's set in the near future New England um, where a totalitarian theocratic state known as the Republic of Gilead um, had overthrown the United States government. The central character and narrator is a woman named Offred, one of the quote-unquote handmaids 
a group of women who are forcibly assigned to produce children for the commanders or the ruling class of men in Gilead. The novel, and I'm, this is all coming from um, Wikipedia, actually has got some great articles. I'll put the links in. The novel explores themes of subjugated women in a patriarchal society, loss of female agency and individuality, suppression of women's reproductive rights and the various means by which women resist and attempt to gain individuality and independence. The novel's title echoes the component parts of Jeffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, which is a series of connected stories such as The Merchant's Tale and The Parisian's Tale. Um, it's also an allusion to the tradition of fairy tales where the central character tells the story. So back in 1985, The Handmaid's Tale won the Governor General's Award and the first first ever Arthur C. Clarke Award in 1987. It was also nominated for the 1986 Nebula Award and the 1986 Booker Prize and the 1987 Prometheus Award. The book has been adapted into a 1990 film, a 2000 opera, and a 2017 television series, which still continues to this day. So... The, the story goes after a staged attack that killed the president of the United States and most of Congress, a radical political group called the Sons of Jacob uses theonomic ideology to launch a revolution. The United States Constitution is suspended, newspapers are censored, and what was formerly the United States of America is changed into a military dictatorship known as the Republic of Gilead. They, uh, the new regime moves quickly to consolidate its power, and it overtakes all other religious groups, including traditional Christian denominations. The regime reorganizes society using a peculiar interpretation of some Old Testament ideas and new militarized hierarchical models of social and religious fanaticism among its newly created social classes. One of the most significant changes is that the limitation of people's rights. Women become the lowest ranking class and are not allowed to own money or property or know how to read or write. And most significantly, women are deprived of control over their own reproductive functions. Sound familiar? I thought so too. The story is told in first person narration by a woman named Offred in the era of environmental pollution and radiation uh, she's one of the few remaining fertile women therefore she is forcibly assigned to produce children for the commanders and uh, the women that are forced to do this are known as handmaids based on the biblical story of rachel and her handmaid uh billa she undergoes training to become a handmaid handmaid along with other women of her standing at the rachel and Leah center Apart from handmaids, women are classed socially and follow a strict dress code, ranked highest to lowest. The commander's wife, wives in teal blue, the handmaids in burgundy with large white bonnets to be easily seen. The ants who train and indoctrinate the handmaids are kind of the enforcer wing and they're in brown. The Marthas are cooks and maids and, and stural women um, past childbearing years. In green, Akano wives, the wives of the lower-ranking men who handle everything in the domestic sphere, in blue, red, and green stripes. Very young girls are uh, in pink, and they're often married or given to a commander at 14 to produce offspring. Young boys in blue and widows in black. The uh, story details her life, Offred's, starting with her third assignment as a handmaid to a commander. It uh, has flashbacks to present day from present day experiences to what life was like before the beginning of the revolution. And that life looks very much like it does now. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of social unrest and um, violence in the streets. They, um, yeah, it, it, it's scary. It really harkens to kind of what this this rise of what is being termed Christian nationalism that we're seeing right now. 
And um, I'm going to do a piece next week. This kind of is in preparation for that piece on Christian nationalism. Um, actually going to have a, uh, a local uh, pastor who um, I think is probably doing things right. Um, she was uh, part of the pride celebration, gave the blessing. She's a local pastor here in town. Uh, but before I get, until I get the interview actually recorded, which we're supposed to do sometime this week, I, I'm not going to say who it is, but um, I'm sure many of you already know. Anyway, um, in the days between her visits to the commander, um, where she's, and basically they they are ritually raped with the the wife of the commanders holding her as they, they do. It's, it's turned into this big, huge, nightmarish ritual. Um and uh, but in the days between her visits to the commander, Alfred also learns of from her shopping partner, a woman called Auckland. Um, and there's this this resistance force called the uh, the May Day Resistance, and it's like this underground network working to overthrow the Republic of Gilead. Um, and uh, so that's all I'm going to spoil about it. But I really want you to. Take the time, if you've already seen it, if you've already read the book, take the time and do it again. Because really now is a time in our own life's journey to really look at where the future may be heading very quickly. Um, the, uh, the series is available on Hulu. And um, so far it's... Uh, it's got seven or five seasons and um it was uh it was the series was ordered by uh hulu as a straight to series um order of 10 episodes and they began production back in 2016 um the first three episodes of the series premiered uh in 2017 and then they they ordered the subsequent seven or released them, sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the the first season won the Primetime Emmy Award for from 13 nominations, uh, including Outstanding, Outstanding Drama Series. Um, and it was the first show produced by Hulu to win a major award, as well as the first series on a streaming service to win an Emmy for outstanding series. It also won the Golden Globe Award for best television series in drama. And the uh, star Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss was also awarded the Primetime Emmy Award for outstanding lead actress in a drama series and the Golden Globe for best actress in television drama series. So, it's um yeah, well worth the uh well worth the watch, the time to do it. Um, and again, it's just, just so relevant right now. Atwood's novels and especially her works of speculative fiction, The Handmaid's Tale, Oryx, and Crink are frequently offered as examples for the final open-ended question on the American advanced placement English literature and composition examined each year. As such, her books are often assigned in high school classrooms to students taking this advanced placement course, despite the mature themes the work presents. Um, there has been, uh, been some criticism of the use of The Handmaid's Tale in schools. Some challenges have come from parents concerned about the explicit sexuality and adult themes in the book. There's some gay characters and, you know, they wind up hanging from a noose. Um, the, uh, the Handmaid's Tale definitely depicts a negative view of religion. I don't know if it's negative. I mean, it's honest. Let's face it. I don't know if I want organized Christianity dictating how our lives are lived. They don't have the best historic record. I mean, <laughs> they have the opposite. They really do. It just... It, with everything that's come to light with different churches, it doesn't have to be the Catholics 
Um, you know, look at the the allegations that have surfaced with the the Baptists this year. It just I don't know why they they have such a bee in their bonnet to you know impose their views on everyone else. Like I'm all for first amendment rights of of self-expression and you know being free to choose whichever religion you want to follow. Really though, my line in the sand comes when you're using a book that that you think I mean, it just look at the history of, of the Nicene Creed and and how the Bible has changed throughout the years. Um, you know, I it just it really, really strikes a nerve with me that that, you know, these this this rise of Christian nationalism, which is what I'm gonna call it from here on out, really are trying to enforce their ethics and morals and rules on everybody else and they're so horrible at following them themselves it just it's a hard time we're going to talk about it more next week but that's it for today we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up we're coming up on an hour and um it's fourth of july weekend it's fourth of july the day itself so i'm gonna i think i'm gonna go grill up some brats and uh sit back on my deck and watch the fireworks because we just have a fantastic view of the SS Park fireworks from, from our home, our front deck, um, kind of up on a hill back overlooking the lake. And um, so I'm going to try to enjoy the rest of our national holiday and, and try to decide whether I should be celebrating or crying with the state of our nation right now. Um, it's going to be a busy week this week. I will be flying out to DC at the end of the week. You'll be able to catch me probably next week, uh, testifying before the select committee. Um, then right after that, there should be a succession of, of national news stories. Um, like I said, last week, I've already interviewed with the New York times and, um, uh, national law review. Um, there's a great article put out about my, the speech I gave to the international center for the study of violent extremism um if you haven't checked it out you can check that out i was also on fox news um local affiliate i heard other people telling me that it made it to national in the clip or two um don't know if it did or not but uh kdvr channel 31 here in denver um hit me up on friday and i I just got my motorcycle running i got a old harley 1996 road king that uh I'm getting kind of uh, refurbished. I'm, I'm bringing it to like a seventies uh, David Bowie feel almost. Um, and uh, so I've been looking for excuses to ride around on that. So I, I drove down to uh, Denver and recorded a, uh, a quick segment for the Friday night newscast. I'll put a link into that as well. Um, hey, I want to ask you guys too. I'm going to set up a, a question thread this week. Um, because they're they're expanding more and more on Substack, where I host the Switchblade, um, different uh, different uh, options that we can use for posts and and video embedding is getting much much easier. And um, I was also wondering, like, do you guys want to see my ugly mug while I'm I'm doing these podcasts? Because uh, that's an option as well. So uh, would you would you guys like to see an occasional video podcast, or do you like just the audio? Um, where it's just you and me and my voice uh, talking about what's going on in the world. So um, let me know. I'm going to put up that thread uh, probably tomorrow, sometime next week, and uh, you'll be able to say. And, and unfortunately, you got to be a full member to be a participate in some of these things. I'm also going to be putting out some, some threads that are just for members only. Um, and uh, maybe that's what I'll do with the video. Maybe I'll make the video for um, subscribers only that, that are actually paying the $5 a month. Um, as an extra bonus to uh, to what you're getting as being a, a supporting member. All right, folks. Well, I hope you uh, have a great 4th of July. I hope you're safe. Um, my thoughts and, and prayers are going out to the families of those affected by the mass shooting over in um, close to Chicago in Highland Park. <sighs> All right, folks, stay safe, and uh, I'll be posting when you can see me uh, 
during the select committee's January 6th hearings. That'll be next week. Well, thanks again for listening to the Colorado Switchblade. As always, I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove, and I'll talk with you soon.